Welcome to church. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Happy New Year. All right. <laughs> to our online audience, Happy New Year, Happy Sabbath. Thank you so much for joining us today for worship. Um, this very first Sabbath, which is also the first day of 2022. Can we pray together? A gracious God in heaven, I know we just prayed right now, but um, I just want to invite you into this place. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to start off this year together as a community, uh, whether it may be here in person or watching online or in different parts of the country. Um, we ask, God, that you'd be with us and join us and challenge us today. God, I don't know why this is the message for today and what you have in store, but I'm thankful for it, and I give it all to you, Lord. Let me pray. Amen. Imagine you get a text one day. The text is from Jesus. Okay, I know that's weird, but think about it. You get a text, and it's from Jesus. And first you're like, what? And he says, hey, we need to talk. Why don't you go meet me at the Starbucks down the street? Let's meet on Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening. Let's talk. And you go to the Starbucks, and you show up, and he's probably already there because he's Jesus. He's probably on time. And you sit. And you're like, oh, and you're like, you don't really know what to say. And you're like sitting at this table, and you're like, hey, Jesus, how's it going? And he just cuts through it, right? Like he often does in the Bible, in the stories. He cuts through all the small talk, and he says, what are we? Like, what are we? You and me, like, what, what really are we? And in that moment, you have the thought, oh, we're having that conversation. We're having the define the relationship conversation. And Jesus says, hey man, or hey girl, <laughs> what, what are we? Like, are we exclusive? Are, 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 is, it, is it just me or, or are you seeing other people? Let, let's, let's talk about this. Like, what's happening between us? Are, are, are we, are, am I a weekend thing or am I an, an everyday thing? Or is this just like you just reserve me for the weekend? Like, you know, it, it, I, just, I just need to know. Where, where is this relationship going? Some of you guys had this conversation with people in your life. Uh, maybe you had it with your spouse. At one point, you had to define the relationship. And it's the question of what is our relationship really about? Is it, are we just having fun here? Is there a future? Is, are we serious? Are we exclusive? Are we not seeing other people? Like what's happening, right? Like for, for many people, that's an important part in kind of the romantic relationship. Uh, for me and Tracy, because we were long distance, we didn't really get the opportunity. It's like you go in a long distance relationship, like you know what you're getting into. Like there's no question. The relationship was already defined, but for a lot of people, you have to have, there comes a moment where you have to have that conversation. Imagine if Jesus, in 2022, wants to have that conversation with you. What are we, man? Like, what, what is this really? Today we're starting a new series that's going to be four parts, and the series is called The Year of Jesus. The Year of Jesus. And the series is coming from a place Essentially, exactly what Ed was talking about today when he led worship. That everything that's going on in this world, we need Jesus. And my hope and my prayer for you, and I think God's hope and his prayer, not his prayer, his hope for you, is that this year would be the year of Jesus for you. That this year would be the year where we got serious 
about our relationship with Jesus. And I think he wanted us to start this year off on the right foot, talking about defining this relationship between him and us. What are we? What is this relationship? Where is it going? Let's define this relationship. And obviously, if you grew up in church, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, this is a very important question. And we're going to get to it later, how even though this is such an important question, a lot of us don't even know how to answer this question, and we're going to talk about that. But if you're a person where you're not even really sure about, like, Jesus and the Bible and God and all that stuff, and maybe you grew up in the church, but uh, you've experienced things, you've learned things, and you're like, dude, I don't really know. I'm kind of questioning now. I'm not really sure about it. Like, I, knew what I, I know what I was taught when I was a kid, but I've experienced and learned some new things. I met some new people, and they brought some new ideas that, that are really interesting, and I'm kind of like, chewing on it, and I'm not really sure. Or maybe you, you were in church and maybe you left and you came back and you're joining us online or in person. I'm so thankful that you're here. Or maybe you're like, you're not, you're, you're not, you wouldn't consider yourself a believer or a Christian. You would think that this question would be completely irrelevant to you, right? Like, yeah, I don't really believe in Jesus or I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus. Or I'm not sure. So I don't really need to know if I should follow him. But here's the thing. I realized as I was thinking about this this week that actually even if you're not a believer in Jesus, this question is an important question to you. Because I bet even if you're not a believer or you question or doubt, you something inside you tells you that if the world were full of people who were more like Jesus, at least what you know of Jesus, you would assume that the world would be a way better place. Am I right? Even if you don't really believe in God and you just know something about Jesus, you know that if everyone or more people started to act like Jesus, this world would probably be a much better place. And even you, when you think about what you know, you'd be like, yeah, there are qualities and teachings that I've heard about that I feel like if I was more like Jesus, that'd be good for me and good for the people around me as well. So this is like a really important question. And it's a question that, that a lot of people have asked throughout history. And one of the most famous quotes about this, and you've probably heard it, is from Gandhi. He said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Right? This is Gandhi, right? He's, like a, he's an amazing person, and this was his statement. I like your Christ. I like Jesus, but I don't know about his followers because they don't really seem to act like the Jesus that I have heard about or learned about. And whether you're in the church or not, I bet you kind of agree with that question. I like Jesus. And even if you've walked away from the church, it's probably not because you didn't like Jesus. You like Jesus, you just didn't really like all the other people associated with him, right? Uh, another person uh, named Kyle Eidemann, he wrote a book called Not a Fan. This is what he says. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Dallas Willard in the book The Great Omission says it this way, the greatest issue facing the world, not the church, the world, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christian will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. He says that's the greatest issue of this world. That first quote, uh, not the Gandhi quote, but the other quote was, was written from a book in 2016, the Dallas Willard quote, 2014. We're in 2022, 
And you could argue that, yes, the world has changed, but what they have said is maybe even more true now than it was four or five years ago. That we really need these people who say they believe in Jesus to actually become disciples or followers. And that would change things. When we look at the current situation of our world, you know, since pandemic and COVID, since social justice issues, since political divides, since social networks and social media has changed the way we talk to and connect and, and, and respond to each other and disagree and fight because it's changed all that, you could argue that even more now, the people who call themselves Christians really need to learn to follow and be like Jesus. And so as I was thinking and preparing for this message, I was asking, God, where do you want us to go? And he led me to this place where he says, Chris, I want you to challenge the church to follow me, to actually follow me, to not just call themselves Christians, but to be actual followers, to be actual disciples. And so if Jesus called you up or texted you and you had that relationship, how would you answer? Hey, hey, what are we? What are we? Where's this going? Are we exclusive? What's going on here? How would you answer? And if I were to ask you that question, which I'm hoping you're thinking about right now, is am I really a disciple? Am I really a follower? You know, now people have asked me that question before. Pastor, do I have, can I just be a Christian or do I have to be a disciple? People have asked me that question. Do I have to be a disciple or can I just be a Christian? If you were to ask Jesus that, or if you were to ask his disciples, they would say, you know what they would say to you? They would say, I don't understand the question. I don't, I don't get it. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Because for them, there was no distinction for them between Christian or follower or disciple. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the word Christian is used three times. Three times. The word disciple or follower was used 269 times in the New Testament. There really is no distinction in Jesus' mind between a follower and a so-called Christian. So if I were to ask that question, are, are you a disciple? Like, in your life, do you follow? And, and I'm not asking it in, like, a guilt trip way, like, hey, what's wrong with you? I'm not asking that. It's, it's like a moment of serious diagnosis. Like, we need to take a moment to really think about where we are. Have I been actually following Jesus in my life? And I bet if I asked that question, many of us would be like, ah. Uh, like, you don't really know how to answer that question. First of all, it's a very uncomfortable question. And it was easy for me to ask it from stage, right, from the stage to ask that question. But it's hard to answer. You'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah, but I don't know, kind of not. Like, I kind of, I kind of do, but I kind of don't. You know, I, I, I go to church and I do the things, but, you know, one time I did this, and I, I, I don't know, you know. I feel like that's how most of us would respond to this question. And as we struggle through, like, am I a follower? Do I really follow Jesus? Am I just a Christian? Like, I've never really thought about that. You know what we ultimately get? You get, ultimately get to two questions. And you may be even there right now as you're, like, kind of evaluating and thinking, right? And again, this is not like a, a message of judgment or condemnation. It's like we're all in this place and we're working together. I feel like when we struggle, we're not really sure. We come down to these two questions. It is, what does this even mean and how do I really know? What does it even really mean then to follow Jesus? Like you asked me, Chris, do I follow Jesus? I don't know how to answer because I don't really know what that looks like. I, I have a picture in my mind, but it seems like that's not right. Like just going to church every weekend and helping out with the youth or whatever, like that seems to be not the whole picture. So I'm not really sure how to answer the question. I don't really know what it means then to actually follow Jesus. And how do I even know? 
Like right now as I look at my life, what am I supposed to think about? Like am I supposed to think about how, how well do I love people? Like am I supposed to look at how many times do I read the Bible? How do I treat people? Like my thoughts? Like how do I even really know? And what does it even really mean to follow Jesus? That is the point of this series. It's to help us together answer the question, how do we know if we are following Jesus? And what does it really mean to follow Jesus. That's what we're gonna be focusing on for the next four weeks. And we're gonna be doing this by looking at a few scenarios or interactions between people and Jesus when he essentially had a define the relationship moment with them and looking at how they responded. Some of them responded with, yes, I'm going to follow, and others did not. But every single one of them wasn't really sure. And so as we look through these kind of scenarios and these interactions, we're going to discover that there's a way to know if we are really following Jesus. And they come in the form of six, what I call, versus statements, like this versus that. And we're going to be going through these for the next few weeks. I was working on this sermon, and I was going to do, like, mini-series. I was going to do three today and three next week, like, perfect, easy, like, you know, really nice, wrapped up in a package. And then I did one, and I was like, all right, this is the whole sermon. Like, it was, like, four pages. And I was like, okay, I guess we're just going to do one today. So we're only going to focus on one statement today, one verse's statement for us to think about that will help us to know, am I following Jesus? And how well am I following Jesus? And it's a very fundamental, basic foundational question that I think is going to be challenging, but I think it's going to be good for all of us to ask this question. And, and so, so, so to do that, we're going to look at John chapter 3 and this interaction that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus. So here's the text. In John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Two details that we have to focus on is now, that, now there was a man, a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, ruling council, he came to Jesus when? At night. Those are the two key details. Who is this Nicodemus guy? And when did he meet Jesus? Really, really important. It says that he was a Pharisee. For those of you guys who are not familiar with that, that's, um, that's, a, that's a, an elite level of person in the first century. For, for first century Jews, like, that's where you want to be. Like, as you grew up, your parents said, if you could be a Pharisee, that would be fantastic. And I know for us who grew up in the church, you're like, ugh, Pharisees, they're like the villains of the New Testament. They're the bad guys. But at the time, they were well-respected, well-educated. People loved them. People wanted to be like them and be around them. They wanted to, a Pharisee to come to their house. And when they came, they'd be like, oh, welcome, and put him in the seat of honor. And they were like, they wanted to, to, to be in a community with Pharisees. They were the ruling council. They had power and respect and education, and people loved them. So Nicodemus, this guy, was one of those people. He made it. He was an elite. When he walked down the street, people followed him with their eyes. People wanted to meet him. People wanted to talk to him and get to know him, and they would love to have him over for dinner. So he's a special guy in a special level in this culture and in this society at this time. But then the second detail says he met Jesus at night, which is an odd detail. It's an odd thing that he would meet someone at night. He would meet Jesus at night. But when you step back and you think about it a moment, thinking about the first deal, detail, it makes sense. Because the first detail, he's this elite guy with this elite community and fantastic and whatever, everyone loves him. But his friends, the other Pharisees, they didn't really like Jesus. 
Like his, his friends, the people he hung out with, when they heard about this Jesus guy, they're like, no, this is not it. This guy's not, 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 the, he's not the Messiah. He's not the one that everyone thinks he is. Like, this guy's full of lies. This guy's a con man. We can't trust this guy. He's going to ruin things. He's going to break things down. He's, gonna, he's our enemy is what they were talking about in their circles. And all the time, Nicodemus, in his mind, secretly is like, well, is he? Like, have you, in his mind, like, have you actually listened to him? Like, he has some pretty, pretty awesome things to say, man. Like, I heard him. But not really a person, he's not really speaking up, but in this community who hates and is against Jesus, he is starting to want to be with Jesus and be interested in him. So he wants to talk to him and learn from him, but he doesn't want the burden of all his friends and all his community knowing. So what does he do? Goes at night. He goes at night. Where no one's going to see him talk to Jesus. No one's going to see him walk into the building where Jesus is. No one's going to be like afterwards, hey, hey, Nicodemus. So I saw you talking to that Jesus guy. Like, what was that about? No one's going to be like, hey, hey, Nicodemus, well, what did you guys talk about? No one's going to call a meeting and say, Nicodemus, there's reports and rumors that you met with this Jesus. Why? And what did you talk about? What did he say? Or he, he wants to avoid all that. He wants to avoid the rumors and the gossip. So he goes and he meets Jesus in secret, in the dark, at night. The New Living Translation says at very late at night. We don't really know the time, but he goes in the cover of darkness. Ultimately, essentially what Nicodemus is doing is coming to Jesus at night was his way of trying to follow Jesus without, him costing, without it costing him anything. Because if he were to follow Jesus publicly, and everyone knew that, he would lose his position. He would get kicked out of his group. He would get kicked out of his community. He would lose his job. He would lose his friends. He would lose all the things that he worked so hard to build up in his life if he were to come out and say he's following Jesus now. That he's now a disciple of Jesus. So he says, okay, he understands the risks. And we know that because what he's doing is he's trying to get around the risks. He's trying to use a loophole to get to Jesus, to learn from him and kind of follow him, but not allowing Jesus to interfere with his life. He wants to, he wants to follow Jesus in a way where it will cost him nothing. But we do that, don't we? Like, let's be honest. We oftentimes want to follow Jesus in a way where it will cost us very little or nothing. You know, if I ask you the question, what has it actually cost you to follow Jesus in your life? How, how would we answer that question, man? That's hard. And the problem with that question for me, especially as I ask it to myself, is if, if I feel like if I follow Jesus the way he wanted me to follow him, it has to cost me something. And if it has not cost me anything, then I'm probably not following Jesus. I don't know, you got, we can talk about that maybe at a later date. Maybe we can argue that, and I, maybe that's not true, but I feel like it has to cost us something. And if it has not cost us anything, man, like what does that even mean about our relationship with him? So when we look at this Nicodemus situation, we kind of come to that first statement, the, ver the first, first verses statement to help us to understand how, what it looks like to follow Jesus and whether we do and how do we really know. And the first verses statement is decision versus commitment. 
decision versus commitment. What does this mean? Nicodemus has made a decision that Jesus is legit, right? He, he did take some risk by following, you know, meeting him at night. Like, there was some risk involved, but enough where he had decided that talking to him is worth it. He's decided in his mind Jesus is legit. Like, he knows something. This guy's different. I can learn from him. Like, he's actually the real deal. He's made that decision in his life, but he has not made a commitment to him yet. Because he has not been willing to allow Jesus to interfere, affect, and change with his life. He's not willing to let it cost him anything, and that's why he goes to him at night. He's made a decision to believe in Jesus, but he has not made a commitment to follow Jesus. So that's the question we have to ask ourselves. In your own spiritual journey, I feel like maybe you are here because at one point in time, you made a decision to believe in Jesus. But have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? Two totally different things, right? right for those of you guys who are married or one day plan to be or one day hope to be, you understand that when you get married and you take those vows and you say, I do, and you have that wonderful day and you become husband and wife and you get married and you know, for the rest of your life you're together, you understand that you're not only making a decision that day, you're also making what? A commitment. You make a decision and a commitment. And if you were to look at someone's life afterwards, if someone broke their vows, if someone had an affair or someone committed adultery, you would question their decision based on their commitment. So when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, this man who has said, follow me, have you made, simply made a decision to believe in him? Or have you made a commitment to follow him? Nicodemus is clear. At this moment in time, all he's made is a decision. No commitments yet. I believe in Jesus, but I'm not ready to follow him. I'm not ready to follow him and all that will do to my life. You know, so he goes at night. And, and like, this is crazy. I, mean, I want you to picture this. Like, if you were, for some reason, you were, out in, you were out and about and you were on the street or something and you saw Nicodemus and you're like, hey, Nicodemus. And you look at him, and he's at night, and he's like, you know, he's walking around like super shifty, right? He's like looking around like this. Maybe he's got a hood on. He keeps checking, checking over his shoulder. He keeps like hiding at walls and like looking around, and he's like sneaking around like this. Like when you would see that, and you see this man walking around at night being all super suspicious and shady, what would you think? You're thinking Nicodemus is either doing something illegal or immoral. Right, like when I think, of, I don't know if your mind goes where my mind goes, but if I were to see a man sneaking around at night, hoping that no one would catch him, hoping that no one would find him, you know, he turns off the Find My iPhone app on his phone so no one can see where he is, and he's going somewhere he's not supposed to go, my mind goes somewhere. I'm thinking he's meeting someone. I'm thinking, let's get real, I'm thinking he's probably meeting his mistress. Or like this guy's having an affair. This guy is in a, uh, an illicit relationship with someone that's not his wife. Like that's what I'm thinking. So if I were to see Nicodemus, I'd be like, oh, he's like meeting his mistress. And this is the crazy thought, guys. This is the crazy thought. He is treating Jesus like a mistress. 
Right? That, like, that's, that's crazy. Like, I've never thought about that. He's treating Jesus like a mistress. And you know, in the Bible, we, we have, um, in like the book of Hosea, you have this theme and this kind of image of, uh, of cheating on God, right, with idols. Like the people of Israel, they, they worshiped idols. And he says, it's like I'm your wife and you're cheating on me. But in this story, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, it's like I'm the one that you're cheating with. You've made me, Nicodemus, your, your mistress, your side piece that you don't want people to know about. And you don't want the, the people in your life, the important people in your life to know about. You keep me in secret. Like he's treating Jesus like that. And man, that's like crazy. But again, like I got to think, do I do that? Do you do that? Do you just put Jesus on the side? Right? And maybe you're not like, you know, you're not worried about people believe, knowing that you're a Christian or you're a, you're a follower of Jesus, whatever. But, but do you put Jesus just kind of on the side and tuck him away and bring him out when you want something? Do you just tuck him away until you need to pick me up? Until you're having a bad day and you need to feel better about your life? That's when you pull him out. You pull him out of your pocket because you need something. You know, if we do that, we're treating Jesus the same way that Nicodemus treated. And here's what happens. When you treat Jesus like this, when you take Jesus out of his rightful place, right, because Jesus says to us, and we're going to get to that in the next couple of weeks, that I'm supposed to be front and center in your life. Like, I'm king, right? Like, I'm supposed to be number one lead guide of your life. When you take Jesus out of that position and put him somewhere else, if you hide him in the background, if you put him on the side, you know what happens to Jesus? You know what happens? Jesus becomes irrelevant, or Jesus becomes a burden. When you put Jesus in the wrong place, he becomes irrelevant, or he becomes a burden. And I've talked to many people. When you, when you talk to people who, who walk away from their faith, and, and some of you may be going through this, one of the reasons, these two reasons are, are, are very, very common. I just felt like it was irrelevant. Like, it didn't really matter to me. It didn't really make a difference in my life. You know, as I, I read the Bible and stuff like that, and like, it doesn't really do anything for me. I go to church, I sing the songs, I worship, and, and I hear the pastor preach, and like, it's fine. But it doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't really affect my life. Or, or this feeling of, yeah, I grew up in church, and then it was just a burden. Like, everything that Jesus said I'm supposed to do, I'm not. I just feel guilty. I feel shame. Like, it's just so hard. It's very oppressive. I can't be myself. I can't do what I want to do. And so, like, I need to walk away. Right? These are very common reasons why people step away from the church. And, and, and some of you may have gone through that. Some of you may be going through that. Maybe that's why you left the church. And, like, I get that, right? But here's a question I have to ask you. Is it that Jesus is irrelevant, or have we made him irrelevant? Is Jesus irrelevant, or have I made Jesus irrelevant? Is Jesus a burden, or have I made him a burden? Because when you take him out of the place he's supposed to be in your life, he becomes irrelevant. And when you take him out of the place he's supposed to be in your life, like front and center, the main thing of your life, he becomes a burden. Because as I look at Jesus' teachings, man, like, I don't know, it's hard to say he's irrelevant. You know what he talked about? He talked about money. He talked about relationships. He talked about being kind to people. He talked about anxiety. He talked about being afraid. Like, these are, are, are these not extremely relevant topics for our day and age? Like, they're totally relevant. He's like, this is how you have relationships. This is how I want you to treat people. Like, all these things to me are super relevant. So if I feel like Jesus is irrelevant... I must have made him irrelevant. 
That's a challenging question for us to think. Is, is Jesus irrelevant or have I made him irrelevant? Is Jesus a burden or have I made him a burden? When you treat Jesus as a, your mistress, that's what, he, that's what happens to him. He becomes a nuisance to you. Because you want to do this. You have another thing front and center of your life. And Jesus is on the side saying, hey, I don't know about that. Maybe you should come back over here. Maybe you should come back to me. Or like, oh, wow, I wish he would stop calling me. I wish he would stop texting me. This is difficult. This is annoying. But when Jesus is front and center, maybe, maybe the value and blessing and benefit and all that he offers, the promises that Jesus offers you of an abundant life, maybe that's only experienced, only experienced when he is in the rightful place of your life. Maybe he is, that is only experienced when he is front and center. You've probably heard that famous phrase, maybe if you're in business, if you went to business school or something, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Or like a really, really important business concept, really important thing for our lives, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Guess what? Jesus, he's a main thing. He was never supposed to be a side thing. He was never supposed to be a consultant or advisor to your life. He's supposed to be the king of your life. And when you push him to the side, when you push him to, in the dark, when you push him to the background, he begins to become irrelevant because we have made him irrelevant. Because we have made him a burden. So Nicodemus, in this conversation, he's challenged by Jesus. And Jesus tells him, he answers his question, he says, you must be born Again, which is very appropriate if you think about the scenario. Right? Nicodemus, who's afraid, who, who's worried about what other people think, who's not unwilling to, to make sacrifices or to allow Jesus to interrupt his life or interfere with his life. He's not willing to give up anything. He doesn't want it to cost him anything. He's like, dude, you can't fix this. You need to start all over again. You need a brand new foundation. You need a fresh start. You need a new birth. You must be born again if you actually want what you're looking for. If you want eternal life that you're asking me about in John chapter 3, yeah, God so loved the world, but you need to be born again because you can't take what you got and just pile me on. You can't put me with all the other stuff in your life like you're doing right now. There's no place for me there. So you got to be born again, brand new, fresh start. And then the story ends. And then we don't know what happens to Nicodemus in that moment. He's like, and then Jesus stopped. And then the next verse is, and then the disciples and Jesus went to da 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 And you're like, Whoa, what happened to Nicodemus? And so this is a challenging question that I want to begin this year off with. Am I following Jesus? Have I made a decision to believe in him? You know, was I at a, a church service one day? Was I at a camp meeting one day? Was I at a, a moment one day where a speaker, a person said, will you believe in Jesus? And you're like, yes, I believe in Jesus. I will give him my life. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in him and have eternal life. Did you make that decision or did you make a commitment to follow him after? Every day. Because if all you've made is a decision and not a commitment, then you might not really be following and maybe we have to think about that a little bit. And again, I'm not trying to like judge anyone or condemn anyone, man. Like this is our journey and we all are struggling every single day to follow Jesus. But here's the thing that what I want to end with is there is hope. 
there is hope because Nicodemus, who had so much to lose and was not willing to give any of it up, he comes up two more times in the New Testament. And and let's look at his progression and look at his process. So in John chapter 3, he was like, scared in the dark and I want people to know and everything. He comes up in John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, Jesus is getting a lot of popular. Like everyone's like, yay, Jesus, we love Jesus, right? Like he's awesome, man. Everyone's like, wants to be around him and he's like the thing. Everyone is following him. Everyone's like, yes, I want to be a disciple. And then in this moment, the Pharisees get together and they're like, yo, we need to come up with a plan. This guy's killing us. This guy, is, this guy needs to be brought down right now. Like, can you see everyone's going to him? Like, we got to figure out how to destroy this guy. Or like, they're like coming up with schemes and plans. And they're like, hey, let's do this. Let's ask him this question. Because I feel like if he asks him this question, he's going to say something bad. And then we can like, we can trap him. And they're like, this other guy's like, no, 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 no. Let's send him here and let's bring that person. You remember that woman, that, 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 that adulterous woman? Let's bring her and let's put him at his feet and see what he does. Or like, that puts him in a tough spot. All right, let, let's do that. And then this other guy's like, nah, man, let's just kill him. Right? Like they're having this conversation. And in that moment where people are accusing and talking bad about Jesus and saying we got to destroy him, Nicodemus, you got to imagine, like, what is he thinking? Like in this story, he's like, oh, should I say something? Oh, this is not okay, man. This is kind of messed up, dude. And he's like quiet in the moment. And then John chapter 7, he says, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus early and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing. And then everyone gets quiet, and they're like, Nicodemus, like, be quiet, man. Like, what are you talking about? Like, get on board, dude. Like, he's bad. He's whack. He's horrible. Like, Nicodemus, you can't be saying that. You can't be saying that. And in fact, like, when, when, when people would come to be associated with Jesus, there was in this moment, right before this happened, these guards came in because the guards were supposed to arrest Jesus. And they're like, hey, guards, where's Jesus? And they're like, uh, we couldn't arrest him. Like, he's pretty cool, man. Like, we couldn't do it. And this is what they say. They say to him, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in it? No, but this mob that knows nothing a lot, there is a curse on them. Like, nobody's believing in him. The Pharisees don't believe in you, guards. Are you believing in him? Are you crazy? The people who believe in him are cursed. So they're like on fire against Jesus, and then Nicodemus speaks up in that moment. Like, he's not private anymore. Like, Nicodemus, you, what's going on? And actually, I didn't share the verses. Right after that, what happens is the Pharisees say, what, are you a Galilean man? Like, are you from Galilee too? Which is like, you know, an insult to people. Like, well, you follow him now? Whoa, you know? And so they're like, he's coming out of that movement. He's moving from that decision to commitment. It's starting to cost him something. So we see progress. We see this process where Nicodemus is starting to follow him, willing to accept the consequences and costs of following him. And then at the end of John, Jesus dies. And this is really crazy because in this moment, Jesus had died on the cross. Meaning like, it's over. Right? When the disciples saw Jesus dead on the cross, they're like, okay, so this was all a huge waste of time. Like, this is all bogus. Like, he is not who he said he was because then he wouldn't have died. Like, this is, let's go home, guys. It's all over. And now we're wanted men because we followed him. And in that moment, Nicodemus and a friend of his named Joseph, they step up big time. In John chapter 19, verse 39, it says he was accompanied by Nicodemus. He is Joseph of Arimathea, 
the man who earlier had visited Jesus at the night. Do you like how he keeps mentioning who Nicodemus is? He's that guy. He's that guy. He's that guy who met him at night. He's that guy who was afraid before. It says, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and then they bury Jesus in public, in front of everyone, 75 pounds of these spices. There's no hiding it now. He clearly is following this guy because he's caring for his body even after he's dead. Clearly, Nicodemus was devoted to this man. And this, this amount, 75 pounds of these spices, like it's hard to, for us to understand, so I looked into this a little bit. And, and it, it turns out that ancient, in first century uh, Israel and Jerusalem, someone who died would often be given about four, one to five pounds of these spices for their burial. Right? And the, 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 the reason why they gave these spices is because they didn't believe in embalming. They didn't like make mummies like the Egyptians did. So they get spices to, to mask the smells. And this was like the process of burial and, and letting someone go and helping them to, to die and, and whatever in an honorable way. And so the average person like you and me, we'd get one to five pounds of spices. Josephus a famous Jewish historian talked about a time where a very famous teacher, a very famous teacher, was buried with 40 pounds of these spices. But Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of these spices. Costly, expensive spices. And some scholars say that 75 pounds was the amount of spices given to royalty when they died. Nicodemus has changed. As you look from John chapter 3 to John chapter 19, Nicodemus moved from I just decide to believe in him to I am committed to following him now. There's hope. So if any of us are in that place where I've only made a decision, I've never really thought about the commitment, like there is hope, there is a process, there is a movement that we can make in this year, 2022, and that's why I want this series to be called and I want us to look upon 2022 and say this is the year of Jesus. This is the year where Jesus and I got serious. This is the year when Jesus and I got exclusive, where he no longer was a weekend thing, but he was an everyday thing. He, he, I didn't put him on the side. I put him front and center in my life. 2022 was the year of Jesus for me. Like that's my hope and prayer for our community and for our church and for anyone, any of you watching online. Because Nicodemus did it. He grew and he changed. We can change too. We can grow too. We can follow Jesus actually every day, all day. We can do it. But we got to begin by being honest with ourselves and honest with God and say, hey, God, let's be honest, Jesus. I, I, I haven't really been following you. I'm sorry. You know, we were having this defined the relationship. It hasn't really been what you want, and I know it, but today, today, January 1st, I'm ready. I'm going to start making changes. We're going to start moving, and we're going to get serious about this. Have I made a decision to believe in Jesus or have I made a commitment to follow Jesus? You know, like January 1st, like, you know, I, you, you see all these like clips of pastors and stuff speaking. And a lot of times, you know what they say? Like these, these, these big, big famous preachers are like, this is going to be the best year of your life. Like, I have a really hard time saying that. Not because I don't think you're going to have a good year of life, but like, I don't know, like, what if I said that last year? And then people are like, hey, you told me I was going to have a good year. What happened? I'm like, sorry, you know, I was just, like, trying to be positive. Or, like, I can't say that, but, but this year I saw a, 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 a little thing come up on my feed, and there's this pastor, and he says, this is going to be the best year of your life. And I was going to just, whatever, dude, swipe past it. And he says, if this is the best spiritual year of your life. And I was like, ooh, like. 
This can be the best year of our lives, not because of the circumstances, but if it is the best spiritual year of our lives, it will be the best year of your life. You know, every time we come down to this year, January 1st or the first Sabbath of the year, I always go back to our mission statement. I always like think about our mission statement. I think about the last year. Hey, did we fulfill our mission statement? Are we moving in our mission statement? Are we continuing in our mission statement? And so I just want to put it up on the screen one more time. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys memorize it because you're supposed to, right? Because you go to this church. But Rock Fellowship, is our, our mission statement is Rock exists uh, Rock exists to connect people to a loving community, a living Savior, and a lasting purpose, right? Three key things of our community is a loving community, a living Savior, and a lasting purpose. Like, this is what we're about. This is what we're trying to do. And as I think and pray about 2022, like, my mind and my heart just keep going to that middle one, that central one, that one right in the middle says that we're trying to connect people to a living Savior. What that is, is discipleship. What that is, is following Jesus. What that is, is learning to practice the life that Jesus models for us, to become an apprentice, to learn how to live according to Jesus. Like that's the center of it all. And I feel like, and, and I feel like that's where we're going this year. And that's where I feel like the emphasis is gonna be in our church and in the sermons and in the way we do ministry, like leading people to Jesus to actually follow him this year. And so we begin with that question, how have you made a decision to believe in Jesus like many Christians have, or have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? And I'm not going to do a call. I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front or anything like that today. But this is a question I want you to dwell on. I want, this, I want you to think about this question and evaluate and diagnose where you're at. Without fear, without shame, without guilt, just honesty. And as we continue in this series for the next few parts, we're going to be bringing up a few other questions, a few other statements where we kind of like compare and, 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 and those versus statements like I had mentioned. And next week, uh, we're going to be talking about a statement that I think is going to be really, really relevant for a lot of you. Because um, some of you in these kinds of conversations in small groups, one of the things that comes up often, and maybe you've said this, is if I really believed, then I would do this, right? Like, if I really believed what Jesus said or really believed in God, then my life should be like this. Like, you've probably thought that. If I really believed, we're going to talk about that next week. The statement we're going to deal with next week is going to help us to resolve that tension. That actually maybe the problem is not belief, but something so I want to invite you guys back to that. I want to invite you guys all back to the next few sermons because I feel like they can be really game-changing for our lives to make this year, to make this year, 2022, the year of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much, Lord God, for, for the message. And, and I know it's challenging. And I, I hope, Father, that in this moment we are drawn to a place of reflection, of honesty, um, God, and I know, Father, as we come to you in this define the relationship moment, you know, the way you approach this is not like, hey, what's going on? And, and, and if we are not really being faithful to you, you're not condemning us in this moment, but you're encouraging us and inviting us to follow you. And Lord, we're still in the process. Like, we, we didn't even talk about what it actually looks like to follow you. I just hope that the people listening today, the people here in this room and watching online, would at least be curious, be interested and wonder what it means to actually follow you. Because we're going to get there, God. But we got to get there the right way. We got there in the right path. And we got to get there in the right order. In the way that you showed us. 
So today, God, give us an honest heart, an honest spirit, to help us to know where we're really at and what we really want. Thank you so much, God, for challenging us. Lord, as we start the year off, guide us and help us to start it off right with you. In your name we pray, amen.